Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome back to the podcast for Shedders, the final episode for the year and my 10th one here behind the podcast microphone. I thought we'd mark the occasion with a few highlights as well as some great fresh shed-worthy discussion. The year started with having a look at a CNC router, which is kind of like a 3D wood printer. Uh, we, We investigated wood turning, tool sharpening, uh, there was uh, the Where There's a Will Foundation, which is a wonderful thing, making great artwork from uh, cricket bats from the Robertson's Men's Shed down there in the Southern Highlands. Plenty of information from Ask the Doc about our balance, the baldness, if that's one of your afflictions, cholesterol problems, just about all the ailments of our advancing years. We spoke to our patron, General David Hurley, who, of course, is our very own Governor-General. And we spoke to the guys at the Raymond Terrace Men's Shed, where, of course, they have their own band, and we kicked off the year with our little jingle film clip. And uh, thanks very much to the Raymond Terrace guys. Now, getting down to business. The mailbag has been very busy lately. I'll tell you more in a minute. But here's what we'll be talking about in this episode. I'm meeting up with my mate Sarjo at the Toronto Men's Shed in New South Wales, You might remember I spoke to Terry in our first episode. Well, Terry quickly gets right into what he's been up to this year. Speaking of remembering this episode's Ask the Doc is very interesting chat indeed. It's about memory and dementia. Professor Robert McLaughlin and Stuart Torrance invited University of Tasmania dementia expert Professor James Vickers on for a chat about when and what is worth investigating when it comes to signs of dementia. Definitely one to tune into. What's your fishing outfit like? No, I'm not talking about what you're wearing. Nice thongs, by the way. In Fishing Chat with Butch, we'll talk about a basic kit for throwing a line in all around Australia. Good timing as we get out and about over summer. For our Shed in the Spotlight, I speak to Andy Bryson from the Veterans Support Group Men's Shed in Narang. Andy and I spoke about life at the Shed and the special art of sausage sandwiches. I'm sure a few of you are very familiar with the do's and don'ts of sausage sandwiches. On the tools, I've sent Marty on the road and he's found a rare but clever contraption at Coffs Harbour Men's Shed. And we couldn't keep him away if we tried. Rip drops by with an invitation to Christmas lunch. Merry Christmas. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders. So shed all your cares and woes and listen in. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Now, in the mailbag, as I mentioned, the inbox has had a real workout since the last episode. Post-lockdown life must have everyone thinking. I've got two from the mailbag for you. G'day, JPY. Thanks for the Shed on the wireless series. I've been listening to it since episode one. Not always up to date, but I get there. I'm from the Gisborne Shed in Victoria, and we were a shed in the spotlight in Series 1. One topic I don't think has been covered yet is about getting our paperwork in order. Making sure our will, powers of attorney and advanced directive are current in all respects. 
I'm constantly surprised at how many of us older blokes haven't given it much thought. We've raised it a couple of times in recent years at the Gisborne Shed, which has initiated some activity. If you could get a lawyer to explain the fundamentals and pitfalls, I reckon that would be really useful. My will states that the Gisborne Shed gets the contents of my own shed. That'll be the biggest job when I've gone. Keep up the great initiative. That's from Ken at the Gisborne Men's Shed. And he's so right when he speaks of that problem. Uh, So many people I speak to uh, who have not even got a will in place yet. So please do that because it's not fair on the people you leave behind to, uh, to die intestate. So that was nice to hear from you, Ken, and thanks for listening along. A most important topic that can sometimes be a bit awkward to talk about. Maybe something we can get involved in if I keep the top job next year. I also received an email from Martin. No, not ours, a different Martin. President of the Oxley Men's Shed. The Oxley Men's Shed started a writer's group to encourage members to write their memoirs. We have published a book, Offcuts, which will be launched on the 27th of November with morning tea, sausage sizzle, open shed and displays. The book will be launched by our local councillor who has helped and encouraged the shed immensely during its development. The state member and federal member will also be in attendance. Offcuts is a compilation of excerpts from a number of writers' works. I believe the publishing of a book of members' life stories would be a good topic for the blog. Regards, Martin. Now, that's a great idea. I'd love to look at that. I believe a few sheds have put pen to paper for a collection of memoirs and the like. Shedders do have some wonderful stories to tell. I really enjoy hearing from you, so make sure you get in touch with all your thoughts and suggestions at theshedwireless at menshed.net. The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association across Australia and around the world. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Well, it's been almost 12 months and we're back at the shed where I first interviewed Sarjo. Uh, this is the Toronto Men's Shed and uh, I don't know if you remember, but Sarjo, he told us a lot about uh, why he got involved with the shed. And uh, one of the most interesting things was he's lived locally for a long, long time and uh, he met people he'd never, ever knew were in the area. And we're back here with Sarjo. How's it going? I'm um, I'm going okay. I can remember what we were talking about last time, but I just thought if you're going to interview me again, I might talk about something a little bit different in, sure. in, in how I made my way through the um, COVID. Um, but... Uh, it all goes back before that to a little bit when I was a little nipper um, and I used to want a push bike and my old man couldn't afford a push bike. So what happened, he got me to go and collect all these bits and pieces from the dump and I brought them back home and he showed me how to put them together and ever since then I wanted to do something mechanical. Always involved in mechanical things and um, so when I did my apprenticeship as a fitter and that and then later on when I was running a company I never ever got to work on the tools a lot but when I retired I started working with my hands again and so coming out to the shed after I retired was a combination of the things what I loved doing plus at home I was doing things now when the um, COVID hit and we went into lockdown I didn't really it didn't really have a big effect on me 
because I just went down into my shed, opened up the roller door, looked at the ducks on the creek and worked away. And I uh, restored a motorbike yep. and I, uh, I reinvented a boat that I had. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did, and uh, I, I, that's going back to January where you carved yourself up quite uh, quite well on the uh, on the tilt, on the tilt of, of the first one. Yeah. So anyway, that boat's gone now, and the motorbike I restored's gone now, and I bought another boat, which is more in keeping with what I wanted. Gee, Sarge, you're turning into let let me do it right for you. <laughs> let me do Buying it. And selling. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all. Um, I talked, I kept in touch with the guys out the shed while I was, we were off, but instead of being sort of contained to, you know, be at home and wondering what to do, I used to say to them, I've never been bored in my life, and I never have. Right. Not one minute, even if I'm sitting still, which I don't very often. I'm you have been boring sometimes in your life, oh, but, but not all bored. The time. <laughs> all the time boring, but nev never bored. <laughs> And, and so, as a consequence of that, I can keep myself amused quite easily doing things that, you know, other people mightn't even think of doing. And so I like restoring things, repairing things, fixing things. I've been often referred to as breathing life back into corpses because <laughs> there's something can be really knackered and I'll fix it. You're a bit of a magician too because uh, I had a perceived problem with the hydraulic steering on my boat and I'd get you around to have a look at it and all you did was look at it and we, we realised there was nothing wrong with it. Imagine if there had been something wrong with it, I could have fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the grandchildren count has gone up. Yes, yes, I've got a great granddaughter now. She's four months old. That happened during COVID, so I didn't even get to see her for a long time, but yep. we get to see her now, which is excellent. Terrific. I've had um, a grandson get married. Uh, all in all, it's been a very productive year. Now, what about here in the shed? How, how have things changed here? Well, some of the things that have changed are the fact that everybody's got to be double vaccinated, which is fair enough. But, you know, we've got uh, several members that can't come back because of health reasons. Yeah and uh, they're not vaccinated. Now, we've told them that they can come back because they've got medical reasons. However, they don't want to come back because they aren't vaccinated, you know what I mean? So they're, you, they're, they're the sort of things that you don't think about until everyone gets back together again and you go, where's Bobby or where's so-and-so, you know what I mean? Right. And, and unfortunately, we've had a couple of blokes pass away while we've been you know, off. We couldn't even go to the funeral. Um, although we did go to one funeral and so it's been happy and sad kind yeah. of at the same time you know like happy because say the guy's not in pain anymore sad that he's not with us anymore yeah uh, but that's life you know and life goes on you know we we got a few new members come in like we were pretty stable during the uh the lockdown but now we've got blokes coming in and uh, new blood which is good and um, so the shed just rolls on. It kind of, it's self-generating, you know what I mean? They'll turn up, we turn them into shed people, someone falls off the perch at the other end. <laughs> you just feed them through. A moving feast. A conveyor belt of human people. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
That's great. I mean, uh, you know, we have learned a lot about the old ups and downs of the Toronto men's shed, and I'm, I'm sure the, the story would be replicated at uh, lots of men's sheds around the country and around the world, indeed. Oh, I believe so, yes. Yes, I mean, no matter where you are, you've got the same problems you face, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of how you face them. Brilliantly said. Thanks very much, Sarjo, and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you next year. Yeah, if I'm still above the grass. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Got a question? Ask the doc, Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. What's your memory like? Ever had a senior's moment? I had one the other day. I was I was giving blood and she asked me who my doctor was. I couldn't think of his name for about 10 seconds. Embarrassing. As we age, most of us have some ups and downs with our memory. But do you know what signs might be telling you there's something more sinister going on? Well, today's Ask the Doc is a real insight into memory and dementia. Thanks, JPY, and hello, everyone. I'm Stuart, the Men's Health Project Officer from the Australian Men's Shed Association, and as always, we're joined by Ask the Doctors, Professor Rob McLaughlin, Medical Director of Healthy Male. Welcome, Rob. G'day, Stuart. How you been? Excellent, mate. Look, um, I've been thinking about our memory. You know, those seniors' moments, uh, you can't recall things you should come straight to mind, things you just discussed or just done, and you go, oh, can, look, can you remind me, you know, what was the plan again? Uh, so I guess you call it short-term memory. Oh, Rob, I know exactly what you mean. I, I think about those things every time I put my car keys down and I can't find them. I go from room to room, yeah. and then all of a sudden they appear in where I, the, the last place I, I ever thought of. <laughs> when you stop thinking about it, it comes to mind. So look, I think some memory is something that concerns us all. There's lots of talk in the media these days. Uh, you can't help but be a little bit concerned when these things happen. We all forget stuff, but you know what's normal and what's not? Well, Rob, I think what uh, we'll all be pleased to know is our guest today is uh, Professor James Vickers from the Wicking Dementia Research and Education Centre down in Tasmania, a division of the University of Tasmania. Good morning, James. How are you? Great. Thank you very much. And uh, nice to meet you, Rob and Stuart. I'm looking forward to our chat today. James, Rob's been thinking about memory, and I'm unsure of where I leave things all the time, and questions about memory come up from time to time. What is memory, and why do we lose it? Well, memory really is a, a record of our experience and memory has a way of combining all these different things that we um, encounter every day um, through our various different sensory organs, if you like, and through speaking to each other. There's different types of memory too. There's what we call short-term memory, working memory, as well as long-term memory. And short-term memory is our capacity to hold some information um, more or less in our sort of surface consciousness, if you like, for a period of time. Working memory is when we are holding that information for a reason because we want to manipulate that data in some way. And an example of that is if I ask you to remember a phone number or a street address, well, you'll rehearse that information for a little while to make sure you've got it sort of at your top level of, of brain functioning. And then long-term memory is occurs... Um, in another part of the brain, really, and this is where we lay down a, a trace that hopefully um, uh, sticks around for, for a, a longer period of time. Um, and memory is also something this is, that, again, can be related to particular parts of, of the brain. So short-term memory is located in the what we call the medial temporal lobes of the brain. And, again, that the job of that part of the brain is to process process information as it comes in 
and then develop it in a certain way so that it can be laid down in um, long-term memory, which really does occur diffusely throughout the cerebral cortex, probably through the ways in which our millions and billions of neurons um, in, interact with each other. Um, parts of the brain uh, are particularly susceptible to degeneration. For example, um, when we starve our brain of oxygen, that can affect some of those parts of the brain that are responsible for short-term memory and that has a consequence for laying down memory um, over a longer period of time. And also when we look at the diseases that cause um, dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease, but in the very early stages of that condition, um, it does cause damage and degeneration, again, to the medial temporal lobe, which, which causes problems with short-term memory. So again, um, remembering where you, where you put down your keys or whether you put the kettle on, um, you know, some and re more recent events. Whereas interesting in Alzheimer's disease, um, some of your very long-term memories, memories from your early parts of your life can be relatively well preserved and, until later stages of the disease. Um, so, James, can I just clarify in regards to short-term memory, this is sort of the things like what we've planned to do today. Um, you know, that's short-term, whereas long-term memory is, is, is what we did back in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, we had we went out for an outing, and you can recount what was said, who said it, who was there, uh, what you did on the day. That's the difference between long term memory and short term memory. Short term is 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 those short term plans where I put the car keys, um, but that quite often is is interrupted. The short term memory is quite often interrupted by the activities we do from day to day. Like we get bombarded with information overload. Um, uh, yeah. but that sometimes confuses people and, and makes them think that they might have something like dementia. Yeah, so that short-term memory is really just a very recent past. So what you were doing in the in the minutes, for example, yeah. before you listening to this podcast, you don't usually have to put much work into it. It's just a, a trace of, of things that have happened. And um, But then again, when we look at, some of these major causes of dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease, that's a part of the brain that gets affected very, very early on in that condition. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore you have, you have trouble automatically recalling some of those things that you did in, in the recent past, which again, could be about where you might've put something or whether, um, you know, somebody came to visit you, yeah. all of that kind of thing. Whereas long-term memory is a more permanent trace um, we don't have necessarily have access to all of those long-term memories easily. Sometimes we need cues or, you know, little stimuli to, to be able to reach those long-term memories. Mm. Um, but there is, there's also a link between short-term memory and long-term memory is that, that the processes that passively remember the recent past, they're also busily going about trying to lay a record of that in the rest of your, in the rest of your brain. So, for example, again, with Alzheimer's disease, you might have a very poor memory of the last few years of your life. That might mean, you know, people you meet, maybe grandchildren being born, places you visited, because the machinery that helps to lay down that memory is, is damaged. But then again, your access to much earlier memories might be relatively well preserved, mm. um, which again is 
one of the reasons sometimes with people with dementia it's good to to talk about events earlier in their life mm-hmm. um, because they might remember you know the the where they went to school the day they got married um, music that was popular when they were younger etc so you they, they may st- still be able to play the piano too i mean I've, you've seen people who have lost a lot of the short-term memory but can still play the piano and sing a song and know the words from 40 years ago so it, mm. uh, it's extraordinary it must be quite disturbing or distressing for people in those early stages when they realize they're losing their short-term ability how, how do people cope and how do their how do their family cope in those early early stages where the recognition is that things are not you know they're not going in the right direction yeah, well, it obviously can be very frustrating because, um, you know, I guess personally it, it becomes a, a disability for you to really, you know, navigate through all of those normal daily activities that you uh, would, would normally be able to do quite easily without thinking a lot about it. Sometimes people with dementia, though, may not have a lot of insight into the fact that they might have a problem with their memory and and they'll sometimes particular types of conditions that cause dementia, sometimes they'll, um, you know, essentially make up stories to cover the gaps in their in their memory. And, and it's always important to remember this is the effect of a disease, so they're not really um, trying to cover up for these things to, to dupe anyone or, or, or to, you know, to, to purposely um, um, cover up. It's often just really an adaptation to not having easy access. Yeah, to that ability anymore. James, you've you've mentioned dementia and you've mentioned Alzheimer's. Uh, are they the same thing? Well, yes, dementia is a term that we use, um, which is really to describe an overall syndrome. So this is when we see a change in our brain function, usually with ageing that is quite substantial. Uh, and it'll affect things like memory, but can also affect other higher brain skills can affect personality and behavior and sometimes also some of our motor functions as well so there are four major diseases that that will cause dementia one i mentioned is alzheimer's that's probably the predominant cause of dementia Um, but dementia can also be caused by other caused by other conditions such as lewy body dementia frontotemporal dementia vascular dementia and in fact there are dozens and dozens of conditions that can result in a in a syndrome that looks like dementia but dementia is really about a change in function from previous levels and um, for example I mean, most people as they get older will have some problems with their memory it doesn't really mean that that they've got dementia but once those um, those problems with your memory become substantial and pervasive and affect your, you know, normal activities of, of, of your life, then yeah. that's probably then at that point it's worth investigating. So it's, so what you're saying there is it's not necessarily just going to be about memory. It could be about balance. It could be about your, your behaviour, your, um, I, I suppose, the, the, uh, the natural things that we do when we're having conversations. You might want to say one thing, but you... Uh, saying in your mind, oh, that's probably not the nice thing to say, whereas with dementia, sometimes you might actually say it. Is, mm. that, is that true? That, that's right. There's a real spectrum of, of different brain functions that can be affected. And if you think about one of those diseases, such as frontotemporal dementia, you know, it's often personality and behaviour 
that that changes quite substantially very early on. So, and people can show quite quite substantial changes and diametric changes in their behaviour. So, somebody who was previously easygoing, um, not not easily fussed, may may appear to be, um, you know, quite um, you know, I guess uh, easy to to upset. May use inappropriate um, uh, behaviour and language, as you've described. Other people with some of those conditions, the, the first symptoms might involve language, so their ability to understand language or even to produce language as well too. It really depends on what parts of the brain that those different diseases affect um, foremost. Because you've said before that most often they're not aware of these changes. Obviously, they're, they're not cognizant of what's going on, but their partner, their friends, their family, their loved ones will know it. It must be a difficult path for them to navigate to bring the, these folk to care, or how? What is the pathway that people should think about taking uh, to help their loved ones if they notice this is changing in them? Yeah, so I think um, you know, getting a good diagnosis is really important to try and understand what kind of condition is causing dementia. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I think, as you note, for the immediate family and friends, it can be quite frustrating but it's also for for them to come to a point where they realize that those changes they see in their you know um, loved one or or friend are due to changes inside their brain it's it's you know caused by a disease process so if if um, if their behavior is troubling in some way or they can't remember what you just told them that they're not there trying to make your life unpleasant in any way it's really just a manifestation of the of the disease so when you i guess have a view that it's a disease that causes this pattern of disabilities and that this will also continue to change over time i think that's that's then a good place to then understand how you could support that person with dementia and also to focus on the abilities um, that remain so james is it always dementia like if, if, if we're having memory loss problems, if we're having these um, sort of uh, out-of-body experiences where we're saying things were, that are inappropriate, uh, using language that's inappropriate, is it always dementia or could it be something else? Yeah, that, that's why I think it's really important to get to your doctor as, as soon as possible yeah. um, because there are lots of things that are, that are reversible or treatable that might cause similar um, problems in areas of brain function. So you really need to have a doctor look very carefully at the things that they might be able to treat or, or at least rule out, I guess, before, um, uh, you know, dementia might be a potential diagnosis. And also that early visit, hopefully, too, then your doctor would give you a series of tests or, and particularly memory tests, and that's a good record so that, you know, months down the track, the doctor might be able to look at whether you are actually getting um, any worse over time because that's a, a feature of many of those diseases that will cause dementia is that they're progressive and degenerative so over time you will get worse some people get worse quickly some people it takes many many years but it, hopefully then your your medical practitioner will have a record of how you're doing it over time so just the message there is get to your doctor if you have concerns get to your doctor as as soon as possible but also too i guess if you have I guess probably, you know, a reasonable amount of insights, say around some memory problems, you know, the chances are that these are just the normal 
changes in memory that we see in people as they age anyway. So, um, you know, it may well be just normal ageing-related processes rather than a, than a mm. disease process. So I know, James, that um, one of the big concerns for people going and getting a diagnosis is that they don't want to lose their driving's license, they don't want to lose their independence. What are some of the things, and, and I believe some of them are really simple, what are some of the things that look like dementia that aren't? Um, yeah, so I guess that there are there um, you know potentially a whole lot of other conditions that might have an impact on your brain function. Probably one of the ones that comes to mind is is problems around sleep. So if you may well suffer from um, interruptions to your sleep due to sleep apnea and I guess then issues about um, you know having enough oxygen in your system, you know that may potentially cause changes in your brain that that mimic in 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 many ways some of those diseases that cause um, dementia. So you might have problems the next day with concentrating, remembering things, and so forth. So that's so again a good reason to get to your doctor, and they'll they'll do a few full screen for um, you know I guess any other potential uh, factor. You know, too much of this or not enough of that, I yeah. guess, uh, in your in your system. James, what about medications, uh, either alone or in combination? People are on all sorts of weird combinations of different things. Are, are drugs sometimes uh, cause a, a syndrome like this? Potentially, that's right. Yeah. So it gets to the, as you say, it's often the interactions yeah. of drugs that cause the problem. So. And, um, you know, if you happen to be seeing different doctors for different things, you mm. know, a doctor with all the best intentions might give you a prescription over here for this thing and then you get a prescription over there for this other thing yeah. and he, yeah. they may well interact. So, again, yeah. um, talking to your GP about the suite of drugs that you might be on, mm. um, you know, may well give clues to, to things that could be potentially mm. uh, reversible. I think I, what uh, you've just said there, James, is... Uh, and what resonates with me is there's a, a lot of things that it could be and all of them can be fixed, managed or treated in, in one way, shape or form. But sometimes our reluctance to get a di dementia diagnosis stops us getting these things, a, a diagnosis of something that can so easily be fixed. You know, sleep apnea can be fixed, malnutrition, dehydration, all these things that look like dementia that aren't can be treated and, and bring us back to the person we once were. Whereas if we leave them, they can actually regress us. Um, so it's very important. I, I think your, um, your comment about going and getting a diagnosis as quickly as possible is very important. Uh, we met uh, through the MOOC. Is that, is that the right way to express that? MOOC or MOOC? <laughs> so the Wicking, Wicking uh, Centre has a, uh, runs free online courses. Can you tell us about those? Yes, well, and it was a number of years ago where it was researched by um, people in our centre as, as well as around the world showed that many of the problems associated with dementia are because people don't necessarily understand very much about it. Um, we do, you know, tend to be bombarded by health promotion messages about pretty much every other major disease and condition, but dementia, which is a, you know, major killer of people in, in Australia, you're hardly, still even to this day, hardly hear anything about so our thoughts were to try and produce something that would address some of those gaps in, in knowledge. And our focus there really were health care professionals and aged care workers, so people whose jobs every day are working with people with dementia who may maybe 
you know, didn't know enough about the condition to do their jobs as well as they could, through to family carers because, again, it's sometimes the person with dementia will have, have not great insight into the fact they're going through these changes and, meanwhile, the, you know, the, the most proximal carers can um, be bewildered and, and try and find good evidence-based information. So it was, it was designed, we designed a, an online course um, in the mode of these massive open online courses, which is one of these, uh, I guess, new approaches to education brought to us by the internet. So the idea is that they, lots of people do the course at one, any particular time. That's the massive bit. Open online, they're delivered by the internet, but should, you know, can read the, look, do the course on your phone or a tablet or desktop, laptop, something like that. Um, and our first one was called Understanding Dementia. That was in 2013. And that really leads people through, again, those brain changes associated with those major diseases that cause dementia, how that then is reflected in various symptoms and what you can do around diagnosis and management. Uh, and then the last part really is about um, care for people with dementia. So, again, in understanding the disease a little bit better, how does that then influence how we provide support and care for that person with dementia? Um, and we run that course uh, a couple of times a year, courtesy of support from the, um, the John and Janet Wicking Trust, which is held by equity trustees. They they fund this uh, for us to be able to provide this for free. And then we also, for people who are interested in their risk factors for dementia, because there are some risk factors that are not modifiable, like age, the older you are, the higher risk you have developing dementia. But there's now up to 12 factors we know play a role in our risk and they are potentially modifiable. So we have a second course called Preventing Dementia, which has been available since 2016, um, which runs through the evidence for these risk factors and I guess then advice about what you might be able to do in the context of, of potentially modifying your risk um, of, of dementia to a degree. Um, so both both courses are offered twice a year. Pretty much most times we offer them, there's over 20,000 or so people who enrol in the course, about two-thirds of those from Australia. Can I ask a, a quick question about family history of, of, of dementia, of the, the uh, Alzheimer-type syndromes? Are, are they strongly genetically linked in families? Uh, you know, if your grandmother has a problem in her early 70s, are you much more likely to or not? There's a bit of concern about people about that. Yes, absolutely. You can understand that concern. A very small proportion of Alzheimer's disease cases can be linked to a particular set of mutations in genes. So this is if you've got a aberrant gene, then you've got a very high chance of developing mm. Alzheimer's disease, usually fairly young as well too, in your 50s and 60s. Mm. Um, but most cases aren't that familial form, right, right. but they can be influenced by just genetic variations, not, not mutations, just, you know, there's a couple of versions of particular genes. And if you have this version, and then that's unhelpful, and that raises your risk somewhat. Or if you have this other version, that's the more helpful version and which which lowers your risk somewhat. So a very strong history in the family. You might get interested in whether there's a very strongly genetic version. So again, hopefully your general practitioner can help you navigate some services to get that looked at. And my, my final question is about the press. There's always a breakthrough, James. There's always a breakthrough. Uh, but yet nothing much comes out the other end of those stories. 
what do you know that's happening uh, that might give some real hope that uh, early intervention in cases perhaps will slow the progression? Uh, where are we at? I hear things from time to time. Yeah, that's something we tackle in our one of our MOOCs, the Preventing Dementia MOOC, is that um, quite frequently there are misunderstandings about dementia that are sort of perpetuated through um, through the press. Um, there are also some, um, I guess, rogue clinicians out there as well to have a, a particular view about um, about what's um, you know what they think might be the cause or what they might think be the treatment. So there's a lot of you know, um, snake oil out there as well too. That particularly you'll see on the internet, so you have to be careful um, uh, about that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of lot of really good research in the last few years, which is paying dividends for things that are useful. And I'm thinking that you know we're finessing the capacity to get a diagnosis. Sometimes it is ambiguous, so people become very interested in in, for example, um, diagnostic markers you can measure in blood. And that's an area that's that's um, accelerated quickly, and that I think we'll see that in clinical practice mm. in the next you know few few years. Thank you. Um, a real treatment to to prevent it or stop many of those diseases, I think, is still elusive. And these are what we call disease modifying treatments. Um, but also, I'm comforted by the fact there are literally thousands of scientists out there working on this. So hopefully, somebody will get lucky. Thank yeah. you. Rob, I think you'll uh, agree with me. I think this is one of uh, the more interesting talks yeah. that we've done on the uh, yeah, Ask the Doctor yeah. segment uh, of the Shed Wireless. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Professor James Vickers for joining, uh, joining us uh, today and uh, sharing uh, his information on dementia. And I think the strong message that comes across is that uh, if you know, you know that you don't know what you should know if you know what I mean. Get to see your doctor. Anyway, that's all for Rob and myself and uh, Professor Vickers. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate your time and uh, talk this morning. Thank you very okay. much. All the best. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on the Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. A big thanks to Stuart Torrance from the Australia Men's Shed Association and Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail. By the way, you'll find all their past episodes online wherever you get your podcasts or scroll through the list at menshed.org. And don't forget, if you have a good topic in mind, send me an email to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Now it's time to talk fishing with Butch. It's time to talk fishing once again, and Butch is here, and in light of the fact that things are being a little bit more relaxed out there in uh, fishing land, you got some tips for us, Butch? Oh, I do, I do. I was thinking um, that we might do concentrate on a, an outfit um, that would do you all around Australia. You could mm -hmm. go anywhere with this one particular outfit and catch a whole variety of fish, right. and it's, they're easy to get hold of. So basically when you talk about an outfit... At the moment, we're talking a rod, line, and a reel to accommodate all that. And then we might talk about a few lures to go with that, which would catch a whole variety of fish as you go around Australia. Now, should you have a, the length of the rod? 
Should Absolutely. it be a really long one or should it be a medium-sized one if you're just going to be travelling around? I, you know, like, and and I, I do know the long roads are, rods are a bit of a problem when you're in a boat. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm concentrating on this little chat with an outfit that's not suitable for beach fishing or mm-hmm. rock fishing. So okay. you can discount any long rods. So I'm looking at a basic outfit of about seven foot, mm-hmm. two-piece is the way to go now because it's easy to get in and out of your car. Yep. And two-piece rods these days are as good as any of the old one-piece rods. There was a stigma attached to two-piece rods 10, 15, 20 years ago because they just didn't feel right. But now everything's made out of graphite and the connections are fantastic. And that two-piece rod is just as good as a one-piece rod. So I highly recommend that. You're looking at about a seven-foot in the traditional length. Okay. That's good for casting. Uh, you could use it for bait fishing or whatever. But that seven foot is good uh, for for boating, for kayaking, fishing off the bank, yep. wading. So it's an all-purpose outfit. Okay. So yep. we're looking at um, something of the order. Rods come, um, they become regulated with, with a number. And it's a two to four kilo is sort of the basic rod you would want. Mm-hmm. And every rod now, manufacturer now puts a label on the side. So it says one to three kilo, two to four kilo, six to eight kilo. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of basically amounts to what the line capacity you put on it without breaking it. Right. So a two to four kilo rod, and you're looking at a 2,500 reel, and we're talking spinning reel. Now, 2,500, is that a standard thing, it, you know, like no matter which manufacturer? Yeah, that's a good point, but most of them... Most of them go with the 2,500. Okay. So I've got a 1,000. The next step up is a 2,500. Then you've got a 4,000, a 6,000. Right. Some manufacturers give you a slightly different different um, number attached to it. Mm-hmm. But generally, if you ask, if you go to a tackle shop and you ask for a seven-foot rod with a 2,500 reel, mm-hmm. the guy will know exactly what you want. And that's an egg beater. An egg beater. Yep. Egg beater. Because what's happened now, John, back in the day, the egg beaters were a bit ratty. I mean... There used to be really good ones, like Mitchell would make them. Yeah. But some of the others were awful, and they didn't stand the salt water treatment that we give them. Mm-hmm. Now, these days now, I'd be happy to use just about any reel off the shelf okay. and use it for years and not, not have a single care. They've all got these uh, ball bearings and the uh, salt water sealed. Right. So back in the day, we'd get salt water in there. The uh, bearings would fail. Mm. But now, no. The uh, drags systems are very good. Mm-hmm. And they're very waterproof and everything else. So, now what about the line that you'd use? Would you use braided line or just nylon? What's what's the story yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm going to t- concentrate mainly on lure fishing today. But you can still use braid on on bait, but you do need to attach a little bit of a leader to it. So braided line is usually coloured bright yellow, bright green, so the fish can see it. Mm-hmm. So towards the end of that line, about a metre, you want to put a a metre of um, what they call trace. On the end. Is that just normal monofilament? Yep, monofilament, 12-pound. So I typically use 10-pound braid. And the reason for using braid these days is because um, it's very thin for its strength. Mm -hmm. It casts like a bullet. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have any memory. Remember now those all the you have the lines on your spool for exactly. And the next time you use it, it would come out like a corkscrew. Yep, yep. you well, used to line, drag it behind the I boat, <laughs> try and straighten it <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, I know. So braided lines are dead flat. They haven't got a memory, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strong for their diameter, and you can put a whole lot more on your reel if you want to. 
I usually just put 150 on top of some nylon underneath. So that's basically the outfit. That'll get you anywhere, catching things from flathead to tailor to salmon, kingfish, brim, mm -hmm. whiting, whatever you, whatever's in the area. That's the beauty of travelling around Australia. You come across different species everywhere you go. Now, what about on the end of that line? What are we putting yes. on? Yes, lures. Um, I'm a, a lure fisherman now. You could use that setup for bait, don't get me wrong. But if you were to just go around, the beauty of having lures is you don't have to stop at the local bait shop, mm. you know, and throw away half the bait which you haven't caught anything. Yeah. So we're looking at a couple of basic lures. Um, the first one I would recommend is what they call a soft plastic, about three or four inches long. Mm -hmm. uh, they come in two versions, one pre-rigged. So pre-rigged means that the hook and the jig head are already buried in the soft plastic. Right. You open up the packet. Put it on your line and start fishing. Mm -hmm. Not as versatile as getting buying your own soft plastic tails, which come in packets, yep. and then matching those to the appropriate jig head hook right. that you thread on like a worm. Mm -hmm. And any tackle shop will show you how to do that. Okay. And that and that makes it more versatile because the jig head, um, the weight on the jig head, uh, is determined by the depth of the the uh, you know the water you're fishing the current and the wind and whether you're drifting or anchored or whatever. Yep. So you can change your own jig head, whereas the pre-rigged ones, you're stuck with that jig head. The other lure, the other lure that's really going really well now is a thing called the blade, which is a metal lure um, that sinks to the bottom. And as you retrieve it, it goes... Brrrr, All right. And then you drop it to the bottom. And then is that what they call a chatter? No, that's not a That's a different bait. one. That's a, that's your bass lure. Yeah. Oh, that's a bass lure. Yeah, I, I've, I've just been bass fishing, caught nothing, and uh, but I did hear a lot of chatter about chatters. Chatter baits. <laughs> um, no, this is just a little, just a little metal lure that you wouldn't think a fish would pick it up off the bottom. It's just it plummets to the bottom, and the technique is you lift your rod tip up slowly and you feel it vibrating, mm -hmm. and then you feel it, and then you drop it down again, take mm -hmm. up the slack, like a mini jig. Yeah, but it's on the bottom and it's, it's on vibrates. The okay. It vibrates. It's fantastic. You just feel it through. That's the other the other advantage of having the braided line is you can feel every little vibration. Right. And they're a killer on all bottom fish. So you're looking flounder, flathead, whiting, brim, jewfish. I've caught quite a few jewies on those. Right. And why a fish would pick up this thing that's plummeted to the bottom, you've given it a bit of a lift, and dropped at the bottom, they'll often pick it up off the bottom and swim off of it. And well, it's a I bit of metal. It's, yeah, it's all about it's all about like you say the vibration. You know, it, it yeah, mimics the vibration of a them. that attracts them. Yeah, and then when it hits the bottom, they go and pick it up. You wouldn't credit a whiting picking up a lump of metal, would you, Johnny? No, no, no. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> and the only other lures you could probably think about is uh, what we call chromies. Uh, they're just like a chrome slice. Like back in the day, we had the Abu Tobies. Yes. The chrome, chrome, chrome lure, just for tailor and surface fish like that. Now, that, what about that vibralicious I was using? The vibralicious, yeah, yeah, the is, one you put that, all the brim on. Yeah. Well, now, that's is, another, that, is that that's a similar thing to the to the blade? To the blade, because it yeah. vibrates. Remember, you were yeah. lifting it; you could feel it vibrating. Yeah. It's it, the difference is that that's just a soft plastic version of the blade. Oh, okay. And I found I've caught more species on the blade than I have with the Vibalicious. Mm -hmm. So right. you just hope. The Vibalicious works fantastic on flathead and it's your found brim mm. and um, anything really. But 
They're more expensive, actually, the, the soft plastic ones. Right. They get the tails bitten off by th things like Taylor, whereas the metal ones, they're indestructible. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I find them, you know, forever fascinating to watch, especially when you're not catching fish. Yes. You know, the, just watching the, the movement of these things through the water yep. is incredible. You it know? is. And, and I get sucked in, more, obviously, more than the fish does because I didn't catch any. <laughs> <laughs> what were you using when you were... Uh, well, a, a combination. I, using that that one that you were talking about of, that that comes the, up off the off the off the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but also the surface lures. You know, the, yeah, the yeah. ones that mimic uh, cicadas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a it's like, like a, a paddle, paddle, paddle steamer. A yeah. Yeah. Yeah, paddler. Yeah, they're, they're spectacular when the bass are on in the, on the surface. But unfortunately, this time of the year, they're not hunting cicadas. See, the paddler is supposed to mimic a frog. Or a cicada that's flapping yeah. around that's hit the bottom, hit the water. So we've got other ones that's shaped just like a cicada. The lure, you could swear, was a live cicada. That's mm -hmm. how it's got the wings and everything. Yeah. And you just tweak that along. And that's the most spectacular way to catch, catch uh, bass is on the surface. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to it. But usually when you start hearing cicadas, that's the time to go bass fishing. Yes. What well, you see. I never heard one when no, we were away. No, they're not you know, on so yeah, you know, just, just pay attention to Mother Nature, and it'll, yeah. it'll give you. And then the when clues. the grasshoppers are jumping in the water, that's another time. Just yep. when you get a lot of grasshoppers in the grass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, there's a a bit of a clue as to what to take, what to put in the car when you're going to go for a drive, and uh, you never know what you'll get. I've always got my outfit, so yep. to speak, in my car twenty four seven. Yep. And always keeping an eye out for the birds or a likely looking beach or something. Yep. And it's amazing how many times I've just gone down there, put a lure on, cast it out, and three or four casts later got a flathead. You know, so. Fabulous. All right, we'll speak to you next time, Butch. Thank okay. you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Shed Story. Let's find out more about our shed in the spotlight. Okay, let's drop in on a men's shed somewhere around Australia. I use the term men's shed loosely because, as you may know, there are men's sheds, women's sheds, community sheds, and in this case, it's a veteran shed. The president is Andy Bryson, who joins us from Narang in Queensland. Hello, Andy. How are you? Good, thank you, John. Yep, live and well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, I've just been, you've just uh, recently had a Remembrance Day little event yes. there up there yes we just had a small uh, informal uh, remembrance day ceremony um we had the both flags australia and new zealand flags up and we had uh, three or four veterans come down and and as they do every year mm -hmm. and had the usual minute silence and then last post etc yep. and laying it laying a wreath so only small but uh, yeah everyone was all over in about 20 minutes or so but served the purpose absolutely how long has this shed been going uh, since 2012, so this next year is our 10th year. So we're planning, we're planning a small uh, small 10th year anniversary celebration in, in March next year. So uh, snags on the barbie and a couple of beers out the back or a bit bigger? Uh, I don't know about the beers part, but, yeah, snags on the barbie, <laughs> which we're pretty good at. We're, we're regular supporters of the Bunning Sausage Sizzles, so we've had many, many years of practice at doing that. 
We got it down to a fairly fine art these days. Oh, look, I've got to ask: Are the onions on the bottom or on the top? As per strict instructions from Bunnings, they're always on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Other things we worry about. So, who um, who started this uh, this shed? Was it basically uh, started by Vietnam vets? Yes, yes. The whole thing was is, is was instigated and commenced by the Vietnam Veterans Federation. Mm-hmm. So on the premises here, we have two buildings, uh, one of which is the Queensland branch of the Vietnam Veterans Federation. And uh, that building also, we have uh, some advocates, uh, which do an excellent service for our veterans. Mm-hmm. And uh, they liaise and between the veterans and Department of Veteran Affairs. So arranging claims and chasing up things and all that sort of thing. Uh, we have one paid advocate. Flavia Centre and the others are volunteers, but uh, they do an absolutely fantastic job. So that's the Queensland branch, and then we have the sub branch, which is the Brisbane Gold Coast Regional Sub Branch Inc., a long mouthful of words. And um, that uh, sub branch uh, runs the men's shed. So the men's shed is a program under the sub branch. Right. I, I, obviously, it was well received when uh, when you started there. And uh, how many members do you how do you have now? We currently have about fifty five members. Um, oh. As per most men's sheds, they don't, don't all turn up on the same day. Otherwise, <laughs> we'd, <laughs> the kitchen would be pretty crowded. But um, typically, uh, on any given day, sort of between uh, any from ten to twenty members will turn up and uh, attend to various uh, tasks and projects, etc. So yeah, it, it's a very very active shed. And what sort of activities are we uh, involved in? Are you a wood shed or a metal shed or a bit of everything? Uh, primarily wood. Um, we do have a very extremely well-equipped metal workshop with Meg Teganark and uh, and oxycetylene, and we've got a full uh, full uh, commercial engineering lathe. And in the shed itself, it's extremely well-equipped for a men's shed. We've got a big three-phase dust extractor system, three-phase air compressor. Uh, we've got it with air distributed throughout the shed and we've got thicknesses and our pride and joy at the moment we received it this year we got donated from bunnings at rubina their old wall panel saw which they oh, used okay. to cut up sheet supplies and that's about forty thousand bucks worth of worth of saw wow uh, so um that's sitting proud and center in the middle of the shed now so that's uh, a wonderful addition and what sort of projects are, are you involved in at the moment at the moment, we've got one, it's just literally today been completed. We have just not far from here, the Canungra Land Warfare Centre for the Army. Yeah. And they commissioned us to build a round office table for their commandant. Wow. And they supplied the timber, it's iron bark, which was cut down from a tree on the property at Canungra. And they cut it into slabs, and then we've uh, machined it and made it into a round, uh, about a fifteen hundred, one and a half meter round uh, table, with with some nice timber legs, and that will be picked up on Thursday. And they're having a ceremony on Friday to present it to the commandant. So, um, oh, that sounds beautiful. Oh, mate, it looks a million dollars. I tell you, it looks absolutely fabulous. Uh, oh, well, you, our... have to, you'll, you must take a photo of it and send it into us, and we'll put it up. Well, on the, it'll on be. The uh, well, I've, I've been taking photos throughout the project, and of course, we'll have photos of the presentation, and those will go on our website, uh, and with together with a little story about it all. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that's uh, VietnamVeterans.net.au is our website. 
Um, but yeah, so that's that's just one example. So that's an external commission. We get people, old ladies coming in and say, look, my dining room chair's broken, you know, and the leg might be split or, or the seats come away or something, and, and we'll repair that for them. Um, and that's just a, a gold coin donation, whatever they think's a, a fair thing. Yeah, um, that's right. Okay. And uh, then the members themselves, of course, are, uh, if they're not engaged in the shed project, they're, they're perfectly free to, to engage in a private project of, of whatever, whatever they're choosing might happen to be. Yeah. So, um, and we're very, very active in the fundraising side of things. So, Bunning Sausage Sizzles. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently, uh, one of our members, uh, who's obviously not obviously, but is actually he's called Noah, and the reason for that is he's a he's a retired boat builder. Aha! And he's uh, he's eighty three, would you believe? Um, but you'd never know it looking at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has now built. We just finished it uh, late last year, and we raffled it over the ensuing six months. A nine-foot clinker-built little sailing dinghy. Oh, Um, And it was a beautiful – it's the third one he's made. And um, so we spent six months flogging it around Bunnings and and the various shopping centres. Yep. And uh, that raised us a net sum of about $16,000. That's wonderful. Any of your younger members in the shed um, – Interested in taking over this fellow's skills? <laughs> we, well, define younger. Um, he does have a, a, an assistant. Well, and, 70, uh, 70 is younger than 80. And, 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 and his assistant is 71. So, so there you he, go. He is younger, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, but now, a fair question. What we try and do, and we have been for quite a long time, uh, we're a veterans' men's shed, not just a Vietnam veterans' men's shed. I so see, we're, right. we're, we're trying to attract the uh, younger veterans mm-hmm. uh, from Afghanistan and the Middle East and, you know, Timor, all those sorts of places yep. uh, that have done overseas service for our country. Um, but, of course, being younger, um, even if their health is up to scratch, which sometimes, as you know, is not always the case, um, they, they, of course, they're younger. So they've got families and, and they just simply can't, uh, can't devote the time that's, that's required. Yeah, I think that you know that really is. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it really is a defining thing about uh, about sheds, because like you say, when you are younger, you're very very busy and uh, yes, that's right. Know, yeah. and, and as you get older, you 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 have the time to devote to, to wonderful things like like the, your shed is doing. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, as I said, heavily involved in in uh, fundraising projects. Uh, we've been very very fortunate. Uh, just in the last round of the Gambling Community Grants Fund. And uh, we finally were successful in getting a grant for a new utility, about $34,000 worth. Um, but, but ironically, uh, there's no stock of utilities in Australia. <laughs> We've got to wait until December or January to get stock. To get, it's to quite get amazing, just, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's just crazy. The world's yeah. gone mad, as you, as you very well know. Indeed. Um, so uh, yeah, very very fortunate to uh, to get a grant. Our uh, yeah, we've got a secretary treasurer here, and he's he wears about seven other hats, but but uh, he has perfected the art of of filling out grants. Uh, and uh, let me say, it is an art. Um, it's it's an art that I gave up on a long time ago, and uh, it's it's great that you've got somebody that's skilled in that area. Yes, and um, we told him he's not allowed to leave or die. It's just not not in his contract. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got to hang around forever because the amount of work he does is just 
unbelievable. I mean, we've just, as you know, uh, we have to have an audit every year and we've just got the auditing yep. books back and we've had our AGM just on the 26th of October and mm-hmm. so we're into another year. Yeah, as treasurer, he's he's a very, very busy boy, you know, paying all the bills and, and right. keep, keeping up with scratch bash statements, all that sort of stuff. So is this something he learned or was he proficient at this when he was a, a serviceman? He probably picked it up during his service. Um, for his sins, he's an ex-Air Force. Oh, okay. Uh, which which we give him plenty of curry over, as you can well imagine. Uh, the you know the old brill cream boys and all that sort of thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> up up there, away from the action, looking down on you. <laughs> exactly. We reckon if we go if we go out and bivouac, they all carry the, they all get someone to carry beds out for them, and we've got to sleep on the ground. But <laughs> but, but to be fair, he's he's a, a very very interesting person to speak to. He's travelled the world with the air force, and eventually then with the foreign. Uh, ambassadorial side of things oh yes yes uh, DFAT. And, uh, yeah. Foreign affairs yeah. And trade, so yes. he's he's been all over the world with that uh, russia and china and vietnam and goodness knows where else so he's picked up a lot of skills and and some of the stories he tells us some of them are pretty hair raising <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah so he uh, he his service is absolutely invaluable um and we're going to he's I hope he's here for a long time yet. Otherwise, I'll have to resign and, and leave with him. That's good. You must be actually observing um, the the good things that sheds do. Uh, have you seen seen changes in people that have turned up? You know, yes. needing a little bit of uh, you know emotional help. Yes, uh, particularly uh, always with the Vietnam vets. As you know, they've 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 come with a lot of. Uh, Baggage, a lot of, yeah. lot of baggage, a lot of mental, yeah. mental stress, PTSD, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but even more so, the um, the younger vets, the from uh, the you know Afghanistan and, and Pakistan and those places, um, they come back. It seems with even more, uh, more mental problems. But we can see them when they're here, and uh, of course we. Uh, joining the normal, you know, the, the camaraderie and and rubbishing each other and telling telling wicked stories and that sort of thing. Yep. And and you can see sometimes you can actually see sort of the weight come off their shoulders and they can they, they even crack a bit of a smile and and, and join yeah. in sort of thing. So that's uh, we're very, very conscious of that. We we uh, uh, look after the welfare of our members, you know, uh, uh, health health comes first always. Yep. Uh, both physical and mental. In fact, we had one of our members recently. Um, he's ex-Navy. Yeah, we, we won't. Anyway, he's one of those. Uh, hello, sailor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all Navy personnel. I've oh, I know. Well, everybody has a type <laughs> and you can't get away from it. <laughs> anyway, um, now Errol was helping us out with, uh, with uh, one of our Bunnings barbecues and um, – he was he moved backwards and and literally tripped over his own feet and and but he wow. fell he fell backwards straight onto the concrete whack and he hit his he hit his head you know really hard and mm. he was taken to the doctor of course and but fortunately there was no no um skull fracture or anything like that yeah but that seemed to trigger off in him a lot of problems uh his short term memory now is non existent um and he's recently just gone into a care facility. Um, he's not allowed to go on public transport, etc. Uh, mm. His family is looking after him very well, but uh, we support him wherever we can. Uh, we've got our Christmas uh, party coming up on the eighth of December. 
mm-hmm. and uh, of course he'll be he'll be brought up here in in fine style and and wined and dined. Um, yep. And so yeah, we look after our members uh, all the time. Um, our vice president uh, Kevin Roberts, he's uh, also the shed captain, and several other hats like all of us. But once a month, he sits down here on his day off, which is a Friday for our shed. We, we're open Monday to Thursday. He comes in on a Friday and he sits down with the members list and he rings every member in the shed oh. to make make sure that they're uh, they're okay, that you know, and we've keep in touch with them and all that sort of thing. Oh, that's that's wonderful, Andy. It really is wonderful, and, and you know, it sounds like you guys have got a good hold on what is needed. Uh, when it comes to uh, the welfare of, of your members. And, and it's, it's been wonderful yeah. to talk to yeah. you today, Andy. And yeah. thanks very you... much for that. And uh, I look forward to seeing this uh, iron bark table too. Oh, Sounds mate, as, as I say, it'll be on our website. Um, we'll, uh, I'll gladly send you some photos of it. No, no problem at all. Great. Thanks very much. So it's Andy Bryson from Narang in Queensland and the, uh, the veteran shed up there. Thanks very much, Andy. On the Tools, on the Shed Wireless, with John Paul Young. Well, I've been on the road myself a bit lately, so I sent AMSA's Marty Least out to find something unique for our final On the Tools for 2021. He found himself up in the mid-north coast in New South Wales at Coffs Harbour Men's Shed. Particularly handy setup for paint jobs. Oh, don't we always need paint? Thanks, JPY. Today on the tools, we are at the Coffs Harbour Men's Shed, and I'm here with Ken Ryan. We've got the machinery going in the background, but that's all right. It is a shed after all. Uh, Ken Ryan is the, the vice president of the shed here. And why I wanted to come to the shed today, because this is the only shed that I know of that has a designated spray booth for painting for painting their jobs. So. This is, this is unique, I know, to, I don't know if any other sheds have this sort of thing, but I think it's a sensational idea to have this. So, Ken, where did the idea come for the spray booth? Why would you put all this together? Well, we, we do a lot of uh, commission work. We do jobs for people outside of the shed, and we need to finish the jobs off correctly. So we, we bought this spray booth at an auction sale. Um, we brought it back here and, and uh, reassembled it ourselves, got it all working, and it makes it very, very ideal for spray painting... And as you can see, we're finishing off a child's chair there with um, with a lacquer. But we do a lot of finishing here. We get a lot of orders for for people to change the colour of their furniture, mainly from um, the normal shellac or whatever to white. Yeah. It's a bit of a um, in thing at the moment, white furniture. So we do a lot of spray painting of white at the moment. Right. But it helps us with the finishing of all our projects. Yeah. Well, how about we just we step inside? It might be a bit a bit quieter too, or a bit of an echo in here. But that's. Yeah, so basically it's like a, a big fridge, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fully enclosed, metal, metal walls, metal ceiling, with um, lights all the way around so we can get a good look at what we're painting. So we've got lights from the side, the top and, and the behind us. Um, and we have a big exhaust fan there which clears the air, makes it easy to spray and filters the paint before it goes up into the atmosphere. So, Mate, that is a big exhaust fan. So that is like a... Uh, that's pretty, pretty much one wall of the whole... 
of the whole unit here is just an exhaust fan that I saw from the outside. We'll take some photos, but from the outside goes straight up into the roof. It's probably a the duct is probably about what nearly uh, 800 it'd, mil wide. It'd be a nearly about six to 800 millimeter diameter duct. Yep, takes it up through the ceiling, up through the roof. So, so this spray booth, the, the beauty of it is, it's like well, for those who don't know how a spray booth works, you've got the heat in here, so it dries yep. a little quicker. Yep. Yep. The exhaust takes most, well, the majority of the fumes yep. out, which you know, yep. for, for WHS reasons, is yep. a great idea. Um, and the heater that, that sort of dries the job yep. a little bit bigger, beautiful light, yep. and you know doesn't disturb anyone yep. on the outside. There. No, that's right. And the and the um, we've got a pressure. The air comes in through a through a system of um, regulators on the on the wall here. So we've got easy access to the air. We can change the pressure immediately. I can change the size. Again, it's just a plug-in uh, nitto fitting into the spray guns. We can change the spray guns. It's just a matter of pulling them out and replugging a new one in. So uh, very very flexible. And does a great job, and no, and it's perfectly dust-free. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the other thing, dust-free as well. Yeah. So, this, if you've got the room in the shed, great idea. What is this about? What about three uh, meters by three meters? Yeah, it'd be three, about three meters by three meters. Yep. So you don't, yep. you don't need a great deal of space, but for what it does, it's fantastic. The compressors on the outside, yep. and uh, yeah, you've got some just some milk crates here to sit the job on. You know, everything's all set up. Spray guns ready to go. You got your your masks there. Mate, it's just ingenious. Oh, and uh, I see you've got a hanging rail here as well. So you can just hang the jobs and spray a few of them at a time, whatever, toys, whatever. Fantastic. And some hang them too close to the walls and they get the wrong colour of spray on the walls. But that's yeah, well, it doesn't matter. A bit of graffiti doesn't hurt. But, uh, a bit of graffiti. Yeah, looks, looks good. Mate, can I just... I want to see... I, it's going to be hard on just on audio here, but why don't we just... I want you to hit that fan and just hit the spray gun and just show me how that... Um, that exhaust just sucks up there, so yeah. Okay. So we'll hit this on. Be going to be a bit loud, but let's let's crank it up. Okay. Right, you stand over here. You stand over here. You'll actually feel the amount of air coming from outside. But that's a that's a special filter material. Stops the dust, but only lets the air through. So we've got nice clean air coming through from outside. Right. So we've got like screen doors on the on the front side with that special material you're talking about that lets, like you say, you can feel that air being sucked through there. So that's the opposite dust filters from the opposite side of the exhaust fan. So that's getting sucked through, you can feel that. And uh, then you've got the exhaust fan on the other side which is doing a magnificent job. So yeah. I'll have a look at that. Yeah, right. Whoa, so we're looking up into the fan right now. Oh my God. I'll get some photos of this. This is brilliant. Right. All right, so, and if you hit that spray gun just there, you can see any excess spray, yeah. any excess spray just goes straight into the, the exhaust there and, yeah. and it goes away, off. Away from the operator. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, we might have switched that off now because it's very hard to hear anything. But uh, this is just ingenious. It's so simple but ingenious and what it, what it does for the, for the, uh, the, the finishing off of the jobs and things is just perfect. So that filter on there, does that have to be replaced very often? Is it very, is it cost effective? Out. When it comes in, it's a light green colour. Now you can see that it's all coloured, mainly black and grey, because somebody was playing, playing with um, a dark colour paint. Yeah. But uh, every couple of, couple of times a year, we need to pull that filter out and replace it. It's just a matter of lifting that whole frame out, pull that off and just roll a new one onto it. It's only a 10 minute job to replace it. Too easy. So it doesn't, not, doesn't cost a lot to replace that? Uh, we buy that, we buy that filler uh, material by the roll, and I think it's about 25 metres on the roll. Yeah, right. I'm not sure of the price, but it's not expensive. Right. 
Yeah. So you've got LED lights around here. Yeah, Yep. Whose idea was this? Great idea. Well, we've, we've wanted a spray booth. When we were at the old shed, we were spraying in the backyard. <laughs> and the spray was going all over the place. In fact, we, we was upsetting our neighbours. One of our neighbours was a, was a panel beater. So he wasn't real happy with our spray over spraying <laughs> into his um, nice new panel beating shop. So um, we decided when we moved to this shed here where we are now, which is a purpose-built men's shed, um, we managed to purchase this spray booth at an auction. There was a, a um, an antique dealer who closed up business, and he offered this for sale at an auction. We went to the auction. I think we paid about two thousand dollars for it for the whole lot, yeah, kit wow. and caboodle, the, with the with the fans, the filters, and everything, complete. And, and the exhaust. And the exhaust fan, yeah, everything. The exhaust pipes, the fan, the whole thing complete. We had to dismantle it, but that was all easy for. The guys with a you know a span of reach undoing all the bolts and pull the part bring it down to the new shed, yep. reassemble it and away we went. Bloody brilliant! Too easy, too easy. Yeah, and probably one of the best assets to have to the shed. It is a fabulous asset, particularly when you you're finishing off projects which need to be um, you know done professionally for for customers. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Well, what a great idea. What a brilliant idea. I, I, do, I do remember seeing this last time I was up here a few years ago, and I thought, what a great, uh, a great topic for On The Tools because such a good asset to have in the shed. Anyway, so, mate, thank you very much for having us today. This is um, great. We've, we're doing some other stuff up here today. It's been a, been a great trip. So, yeah, it's something to consider for your shed, whoever's out there and, you know, all, all the other sheds out there. A real great asset to the shed. So... Thanks again, Ken, and um, yeah, back to you, JPY. Good on you. So I thought it only fitting to round out this episode with a word from our mate, Rip. Let it rip. Ho, ho, ho. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. With Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shedders. Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? Well, Shedders, it's Christmas time again. Where the bloody hell did that year go, eh? In fact, where did the last two years go? The Earth's done another revolution, and we've almost had one. Crazy times, all right. Yeah, it sure seems to go quick, but a year can be a long time and a lot can happen when you look back on it. I've got two more grandkids, a new daughter-in-law and a new hip. The dogs finally stopped peeing on me boots every morning due to a prostate issue and the missus has decided that it's no longer integral that I put the toilet seat down on a regular basis. Well, I think she's just finally conceded on that one. What a year, eh? Even though I'm pretty much retired now, I still look forward to the holidays and Christmas Day. However, it'll be a bit of a different affair this year. We're not having much of a shindig as usual. Not like we used to anyways. With the kids all partnered up now, they've all got their own things to do and people to visit. I'm happy for them though, and happy if we just get a look in. They've asked me to go elsewhere to see them, but me, huh, I refuse to go anywhere on Christmas Day. I'd rather drink Roundup than be on the roads. One thing me and the missus have always done though, is have an open door policy on Christmas Day. We always put on a decent spread, and it's come one, come all. And first in best dress when it comes to the tucker. Don't matter if you're family, friend or foreigner. If you've got nowhere to go, you're welcome here. I hate the thought of anyone being alone on Christmas Day. 
I can imagine it might be a pretty lonely time for some, though. Like our neighbour Harry. Poor bastard lost his missus back in June. I just can't imagine losing my missus. I mean, I know there'll be a day when one of us will have to be without the other, but jeez, I hope it's me that goes first. And good luck to her cleaning out me shed. It's a bloody nightmare up there. Yeah, but we'll make sure Harry gets a feed and some good company on the day. It's the least we can do. No point in anyone being lonely or feeling down on what's meant to be one of the happiest days of the year. And with so many people still separated by border closures and whatnot, there's going to be plenty of empty seats on people's tables. So why not fill them? If you can't be with the ones you love, love the ones you're with. I think there might be a song in that. I know we all have our rituals and traditions, but things change. And like everything else over the last couple of years, all the norm is out the window. They say it's better to giveth than to receiveth. So why not put a welcome sign on the front door and extend an invitation to someone who might not be the obvious choice? Or take a plate of leftovers around to someone who might only be having soup for Christmas supper. Or make a couple of random calls to people that might least expect it. I might even go off and build a few Christmas carols out at the local nursing home. That'll be a treat for them. So anyway, have yourselves an altruistic little Christmas, peoples. See you next year. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's about it for now, but I'm really keen to hear from you about my first foray into podcasts. How did you like the season? Would you like to see me back next year? So drop me an email if you can. The email address is theshedwireless at menshed.net. You can check out The Shed online too for a few extra bits and pieces, plus all of our past episodes are online at menshed.net. I'd like to say a big thank you to David, Emma, Helen and Marty from AMSA headquarters and of course my son Danny who's gluing it together and trying to get rid of all my mistakes. To everybody out there, have yourselves a wonderful Christmas and a very successful next year and keep up the mentoring. Bye bye. Yeah.